Welcome to the Higher Potential Living Podcast, where we discuss improving quality of life by exploring mind, body, and spirit through a mindful lens. Here's your host, Jason Marichello. Hello and welcome everybody. On today's episode, we have Amanda Halls. And Amanda is a registered kinesiologist and certified athletic therapist with a master's in rehabilitation science. She has organized and led medical teams in a number of high-end sports events, such as the North American Indigenous Games, Special Olympics, Pan Am Games, Invictus Games. She's also uh, an amazing yoga teacher, educator, lecturer. So she definitely has a lot of hands-on experience especially with rehabilitating other people. But in this episode, we're going to also talk about her own struggles as she had to go through rehabilitating her own body and mind after her life took a pretty dramatic turn. So we uh, had a great conversation. So stay tuned and I hope you enjoy. Hello, Amanda. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So I was thinking about the, the real like body of this episode. And I think I have the privilege of having Amanda Hall here with me today. <laughs> what am I going to do in this time that I have? How do I get the most out of it? And I've had the privilege of working with you through yoga teacher training. And you've um, joined me on a couple of retreats that we've had and, and that kind of stuff. It's always a pleasure. But one of the things that's really inspirational for me when I look back at, at just a short amount of the, your journey that I've witnessed is your resilience on, on overcoming some of these big hurdles in life that a lot of people could sometimes just see as like the stumbling block, like I can't go past this, I don't know how to get past this. And yet I've seen you at all different stages on your journey with a big smile on your face, whether you need me to, you're asking me to carry your purse for you or whatever. <laughs> like there's, there's so much joy in that moment. And I know people listening to this right now might be thinking, what is he talking about? <laughs> so um, instead of me doing all the talking, why don't you uh, maybe start off by just kind of describing some of the early Amanda life kind of stuff before we get into what's been coming into your reality more recently but you were telling me before we jumped on this podcast, even a little bit about your passion to get to know the body a little bit more through your athletics mm -hmm. and stuff like that, even, even as early as in high school. So maybe yeah. you can start there. Yeah, no problem. So, I mean, I'm an athletic therapist and um, realistically, I didn't know that I wanted to be that when I was younger because I didn't know what it was. And so when I was in high school, there was athletic letters there was leadership letters and academic letters. And me being who I am, I wanted to have all three of them before I graduated. It's not surprising, and we'll probably <laughs> come back to that pathology of work, but I had dislocated my shoulder and I couldn't play basketball that year. And I was at risk of not getting that athletic letter. So I decided to um, volunteer to be the manager for the men's soccer team. And I didn't realize that that was sort of like, like my first introduction to athletic therapy because there was no one else on the team with first aid knowledge. So I kind of stepped into that role unassumingly and I absolutely loved it. Um, when I went to university, I went to university with the intention of becoming a sports medicine doctor. Mm. 
but it was my first year and my roommate had torn her ACL and we were in our dorm room and I was like, girl, that thing is getting big. We need to go and see somebody <laughs> about this. And so I just tried to search and I ended up in the athletic therapy department at Laurier with my injured friend. And as the story goes, I never really left. I stayed on doing athletic therapy throughout um, the four years that I was at uh, Laurier and conversely applied to Sheridan from that standpoint. So uh, yeah, I really, it was very passionate about athletics, but I was also very passionate about helping people from a young age. And so that's sort of um, the starting off or jumping point from my career. Now you had this, you had this ongoing dance from what I understand from like the medical side of it being an interest, but also kind of like forced into learning about it through your own injuries throughout your journey yeah. as well. Cause didn't yeah, you, I, you had an injury towards the, the later part of your university career as well, right? I did. I broke my arm playing rugby and it was the first injury I had pretty much ever really had. Although when I look back at it, I had gotten a few injuries playing sports in high school, but this one's a major one for me where, you know, I saw this, the rookie stepping into my position on the field. I mm. all of a sudden could no longer do therapy because my arm was in a full arm cast. Um, and I just didn't know who I was anymore. It was this first time that I uh, found out that I had this empty space where I was so identified with being an athlete or being a therapist that when those things were taken away through, from me through injury, I felt an emptiness. Mm-hmm. And I kind of dug into athletic therapy. It's actually quite funny because shortly after my injury, my in- I was in a cast for six months and ended up having to have two surgeries to fix that arm. Wow. But when the cast came off, I immediately started working with lacrosse. And it was funny because I worked for the Brampton Excelsiors, but I played rugby for the Brampton Beavers and they ha- they share the same driveway so on Saturdays I would go through the same driveway but instead of turning to go to the rugby club I'd go and cover lacrosse so therapy and field work sort of became that thing that I did instead of playing sports mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting one of the things that you touched on in that last little piece was I think something that a lot of people can relate to whether it be in sports or in their jobs or sometimes just in their their lives in general is this like innate fear of being replaced or not being as useful anymore you kind of Mm -hmm. briefly brushed over it but talking about having this this rookie someone who was you know maybe a sub for the team now stepping into your place and all you can really do is just focus on your own healing while you're watching this person be essentially where you want to be and doing what essentially you want to be doing Yeah, but at that time, Jason, I didn't have any sort of awareness that I was um, trying to work on my own healing. Like I literally sat there seething in jealousy. It was not good. It was not something that I didn't feel good about how I felt about it, but I didn't know. It was like a, a darkness had kind of fallen over me because I didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. And it, it was jealousy. There was a lot of rage. There was a lot of those types of emotions that were there that as I started to move towards becoming a therapist, instead of becoming an athlete, 
I kind of masked those feelings. Mm -hmm. I didn't deal with them at the time. And this is really important because they did come back up for me. They reared their ugly head as they would. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've had to recover from multiple orthopedic surgeries. That's just something I've had a lot of surgeries and nothing has actually hurt my hands. So I've always been able to continue to treat. Mm -hmm. Even though I was on crutches or, you know, I had had knee surgery or what have you, I was still always working. I never really took that time off. And it wasn't until this time. And it was this, this has, this is the second time I've been sick and had to be off work that I was like, whoa, I need to stop this. We need to change the whole narrative here. Yeah. So I, I really, I just want to say thank you for the honesty to speak about like even that dark place because we, we get there so, so easily sometimes because uh, if we think about this narrative of, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. I'm going to get into this field. This is my job. We create a whole like five-year plan, which is encouraged in a lot of ways, right? The five-year, 10-year <laughs> plan. five-year plan, yes. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, if something interrupts that, it's like, whoa, whoa, this was not in the plan. We did not factor in, you know, breaking my arm. We didn't factor in, you know, and sometimes it's losing our jobs or all this kind of stuff. And without that, it's like you said, not being able to recognize that some of the biggest work is that internal work and that sometimes these things can create the opportunity for us to look inwards and to deal with those associations of identity. But without that, it's like, now what? Right. And but you know, in yoga, Jason, yeah. like when you're in a yoga posture, this comes up for people in yin all the time, as mm. you would know, they get into the posture, but they start stealing energy from their eyeballs in order to hold themselves into the posture come hell or high water, let's steal energy from every other spot of our body, as opposed to just admitting this isn't a pose for me. Maybe I need a block. Maybe I need a bolster. I can't, I, you're not supposed to be stealing the energy, right? But what happens when you don't address the feelings that you're dealing with at the time when they happen, you stuff them down into like the little tiniest corner of your big toe and they sit there and they fester. Mm -hmm. right? They're waiting for the time when you get inevitably kicked off course again, and then they come back up again. You're like, where the hell did these come from? Oh, wait, ho hold on a second. That's my traumatic experience from 1999 coming mm -hmm. to remind me that, hey, I didn't deal with you then. And if you don't deal with it, you're constantly tucking things away. You're covering it up. Mm -hmm. You're, you might start to steal energy from yourself by making yourself super busy to put a blanket over the area that you don't want to look at. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that there's, it's, it's really important when we have big events and we're in that time period right now where there's so much going on around us, so much misinformation, so much confusion, it might not be a physiological injury, but we are all in a state of acute trauma right now. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a lot of people on social media, et cetera, show us their trauma response. Maybe it's baking 700 sourdough bread loaves. It's like, <laughs> yeah. hold on, what? Chill out for a second. I feel like you could be doing something more productive by mm -hmm. just sitting down and just being with the feelings that you have. But that is a very difficult, it's a very easy, but very difficult thing to get people to do. 
And you're speaking into kind of the cleverness of self-care in a lot of ways, because there's um, an understanding that self-care is a good thing. There's a, there's a brain understanding on mm-hmm. a surface level that self-care is a good thing, but mm-hmm. we can get very sneaky with what we classify as self-care, not recognizing that what real genuine care looks like is maybe not going to be as comfortable as some of those other things like baking yeah. the 700 loaves of sourdough bread. Maybe what I really need is to just sit with a journal or just sit with my own thoughts for uh, an hour even and yeah. look at what's coming up. And yeah, I, the, I agree. I'm a total, things, sorry, go ahead. It's, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, one of the interesting things that has come up even with um, previous students and everything else is when self-care comes around and like, yeah, you know what? I need some me time. I'm going to make some time to see my friends. I'm going to make some time to do this. I'm going to make some time to do this. And I have a good um, therapist friend that we were talking about some cases together. And mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, no, I don't sugarcoat this. I tell my clients they need to sit down, lock themselves in a room. And like, it just sounds so torturous for so many people. You mentioned yin yoga. <laughs> yeah. There's so many people that despise yin yoga because yeah. you were you know, told to sit in a pose for a long period of time. We're not going to move around a whole lot. And we're going to mm-hmm. find some of those uncomfortable feelings. And we're going to sit with that. And can we accept that for this moment, we're feeling uncomfortable, not necessarily in pain, but we're yeah. feeling uncomfortable. And that's really challenging for a lot of people to to do it in the best of times, let yeah. alone when we're feeling beaten down, we feel like the world hasn't had our back and so on and so forth. 100%. I think self-care is a friggin' myth. I'm going to tell you hashtag self-care sucks. And if you ever see me use that self-care <laughs> hashtag again, please call me and say, Amanda, please stop using this. You are a fraud. Because truth be told, we put a hashtag on something on social media and it blows up. So now people think a bubble bath is about self, self-care as opposed to it being about cleaning yourself. Like, that's not self-care. That's just taking, like cleaning your body. You know what I mean? Yes, you mm-hmm. can light some candles and make it all spa-like and everything like that. But why do we have to put a hashtag on it? And like you said, no one is using hashtag self-care and showing themselves crying and journaling through their friggin' shadow self. Mm-hmm. That's not what people label as self-care. And we want to be careful with labels in general in society because that's what creates these little like drapes that we can use, you know, oh, I'm taking care of myself. It's self-care. I was the first person to tell you I used every single modality that I possibly could because I wanted to keep working, even though I knew I was sick. Mm -hmm. I used everything, Jason. And I'm telling you, I was hashtag self-care out the yin-yang. Give me the vegetables. Give me the fruits. Give me the paleo. Let me drink the juices. I'll do anything. But the one thing I needed to do, the darkest, deepest work, it, all the other things were sort of like, it was a way for me to dis, to sort of distract myself mm-hmm. from the work that actually needed to be done. Mm-hmm. So in my life, a bubble bath is about heal, like helping my joints because they're so painful and cleaning my body. I don't think of that as self-care. We have to understand that it's not a hashtag. Self-care is your (laughs) only priority in your life. 
Right. So putting a hashtag on it seems trite. It's like me saying hashtag children because I have them. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't give it the justice. So I'd really love it if people actually stopped using hashtags self-care and posting a picture of them doing a yoga pose. And I'd like it if they actually took care of themselves, mm-hmm. actually listened to their bodies. What do yeah. you actually need today? When it comes up uh, with the work that I do with, with meditation, there's a lot of, there's a lot of surface information even out there on meditation that it's getting recommended from different psychotherapists and all this kind of stuff. Like, yes, if you want help with this, you know, this is a great means, learn some meditation. And so if I go and I, I Google meditation, I'm gonna be given like these same few images with a lot of the same styles of meditation. And I've had clients who feel like they're failing because they are going into meditation and they're coming out on the other side feeling worse. Yeah. And it's this surface image of, oh, this is what we need for self-care, but maybe that's yeah. not what you need. And it's really when we start to really listen to exactly what each individual moment requires from us, which each individual trauma requires for us to, to work through, it's a very different scenario. I've had someone recently, like one of the courses that I took on mindfulness for depression, um, it was one of the big eye-openers that if you are in the depths of depression, do not sit and do a silent meditation. <laughs> that is like a terrible formula where yeah. you're, you're going to just invite ruminating thoughts to take you deeper yeah. and deeper and deeper into a darker place. And that there are, there are serious moments where we don't, maybe you want to just turn on your favorite Beyonce song and just do a big dance party or something. And yeah. that could be your meditation. But so much of it is about the intention, what you're saying about the hashtag, what it makes me think of is like this idea of having a goal set for enlightenment. We see this all the time in the spiritual community. I have this driven goal to become enlightened. And the Zen, uh, I know some Zen monks that would say like, oh, that person reeks of Zen. It's like, if you have a goal to become enlightened, that very goal is going to stop you from becoming enlightened. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And that's the thing with the hashtag. Like I, it is because of social media. It's not like I don't, I believe in taking care of yourself. I don't believe in hashtag self-care. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that somebody who is a mom with a bunch of kids running around with crazy husband, COVID situations, having to stand in lineups to get your kids tested, all of this stuff. If she didn't have a chance to take a bubble bath, but she took a sick day because she was feeling sick, mm-hmm. that's hashtag self-care more than the bubble bath is. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening, because no one is promoting that as self-care, she doesn't take the sick day, Mm -hmm. right? And then whatever issues is going on in her body perpetuates. And this is my story. This is my story. This is exactly what happened to me. I never took sick days, mostly because I was all hocked up on every single vitamin you could possibly imagine. So I never got sick until I got sick Mm -hmm. because I was driving my Toyota as if it was a Ferrari, right? right? There's limits to the Toyota. Like, you know, it's a really good, reliable vehicle, but it's not meant to be driven like a Ferrari. Right. And I thought uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to redline my body 24 seven and uh, all in the name of success and all in the name of having it all. Right. So from the outside, you would look and say, wow, but although some people were looking at from the outside saying, you're crazy, you need to stop. 
But by that point, I was just so deep into a 60 plus hour work week. It just felt so normal to me. Mm-hmm. And the disconnect from my body felt so normal to me because I had to ignore it in order to work until 1030 at night. So to give a little bit of backstory here, I actually uh, met you because you came to our yoga studio to do a 200-hour yoga teacher training, mm-hmm. and you embarked on that 200-hour yoga teacher training while you were doing all of you know, those work hours that you were talking about and you know, looking at just adding on to your repertoire of ways that you can help other people. And I think there was a little bit more focus then on helping other people than what Amanda needs. And it was really interesting because a big part of this transformation kind of took place during the 10 months that we were doing the yoga Mm -hmm. teacher training. Mm -hmm. And so I think even a big piece of it from an outsider perspective was not knowing what exactly was going on. And you yourself, you didn't know exactly what was going on too. So for those that are listening, I was wondering, as your body started essentially yelling at you that something was going on, can you speak a little bit to some of the the thoughts and stories that kind of came up as, as you were forced to listen? Well, basically, I had taken time off in um, May of 2018, but mm-hmm. this was after being sick for about two years. And it, it literally started September of 2016. I just got sick. I remember coming home from my friend's house and feeling like maybe I sat too close to the fire. I don't know, like I couldn't breathe properly. I had all these issues and I'm not a sick person, like I said. So mm-hmm. going to the doctor and trying to explain this it was crazy. So anyways, I end up down this rabbit hole and Canadian healthcare is lovely in some ways, but it's also difficult because you're in situations for months. You're waiting to see somebody for months to get Mm -hmm. answers. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, I just continued to live my life. And 2017 was an extremely busy time for me as an athletic therapist. I had like three or four big national events, one being like the uh, Invictus Games, which was a humongous event for me. It took me a whole year to plan for that. And I was still just pushing. Sometimes mm-hmm. with the Invictus Games, I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning to get on the bus to be downtown Toronto to sit there and supervise. And it was fantastic opportunity, but very hard on my body. Um, and I just kept pushing. So what ended up happening is... Uh, I was at work and my friends were like, you actually look like you're drunk. Mm. I was blurring my words. I couldn't walk properly. I couldn't get to my car and pull my wheelie bag. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have a wheelie bag, but I was like ergonomics first. So I'm pulling my stupid wheelie bag. Couldn't even do it. You're saying I had to ask you to hold my purse. You know how many times I asked my friend Tyler to carry my wheelie bag? It was ridiculous. He's like, you need to stop. And so I did. And I took a few months off, but I didn't actually stop. (laughs) because <laughs> mm-hmm. I did Hashtag didn't. self-care. Hashtag self-care. So what I did is I continued with my yoga teacher training, which was fantastic and definitely serving my soul, but I was still participating in research. I was still working part-time. It was um, like, I was still working at the college, working from home. It was very hard. And when I returned, I returned in September, mostly because I had never missed a September at all, ever. Mm -hmm. for the whole time I had worked at Sheridan College. And it was very, very hard. But I was like, nope, I'm determined to be there. 
as September, October, November rolls around, there were so many changes in the structure um, of the place where I worked, so many things going on, a lot of which got piled on top of me to deal with. I found out in December, like I was writing a note saying, I'm feeling really bad. I'm feeling really sick. And something inside of me didn't make me, I sent it. And the response back was to go here and deal with it with this person. And I didn't do it. I just was like, you know what? I probably just need a break. I just need Christmas. I just need a break. I went back in January and by June, I was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And that was the, my body was talking to me. I, I was listening. I knew I didn't feel well, but not only was I working 60 hours, I was also going to school to become a massage therapist. So my weekends were being taken up with stuff too. And I did this to myself mm -hmm. knowing that I was sick. But at so, this point you had no idea what you were dealing with, right? No, I mean, we're still in under investigations for certain things, but mm -hmm. it is very clear that there's been a neurological issue with my brain. And so basically, as it stands now, I pushed myself to the point where my brain basically can't communicate properly with my body. So on different days, different things will happen. Like I, I have a permanent weakness in my left side. Um, when this very first started, it, it, it presented itself as a seizure. Mm -hmm. um, and then I never recovered from that. So it was like, I'll have a lumbar puncture and I'd be back at work two days later. You know, there was just no time for my body to adjust. Mm -hmm. So everything came full force. And basically, I still worked in June because I worked at home full time even though I was sick. And then I had another episode in July that landed me in the hospital for like three or four days. And I was like, that's when I had to be like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I couldn't drive anymore. I couldn't see properly. I see double vision out of both of my eyes all the time. And basically my entire body shut down, mm -hmm. but I can't blame it. Like I can't, I, I was still loading more and more things on a body that had been battling illness for three years mm -hmm. because society told me to, mm -hmm. because I didn't think I could stop and oh. because I didn't want to stop. Well, that's a big, that's piece, a big of it piece too. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that's been um, kind of like the undertone of this, this conversation so far, and uh, I've touched on it in a a little bit in a couple different episodes is this association with different identities yes. and i know you and i have talked about it before but typically in in the average lifespan we hit three main points of crisis and they all typically revolve around a shift in identity so there's the quarter life crisis when we're going from students to adults and nobody knows what that's supposed to look like or how <laughs> to navigate that and so this idea of my role is completely different. What does it mean to be an adult? Should I be in a relationship? Should I be looking for a house? Should I be? And it's just filled with shoulds, should, should, and yeah. lots of question there. And then we eventually settle into this idea of, okay, I guess this is what adulthood means. And then we push ourselves throughout adulthood to try to find successful adulthood. And then we usually find that midlife crisis Mm -hmm. coming into play for a number of different reasons, either one, identifying mortality, 
which starts to kind of shift in. Like I can't do the things that I used to be able to do when I was in my thirties and early forties and that kind of thing. And then there's the other big piece often around um, being parents. Yeah. I've been a caregiver for so long and my relationship even with my partner has revolved around my children. Mm -hmm. And now that my kids aren't needing me so much, what is my role in life? What is my, what is my driving purpose? And then you're kind of been forced almost into the three quarter life crisis a little bit, which is often when people retire and they've been so associated with their job title, then they don't know what they're supposed to do with the remaining part of their life because they can't fulfill their job role in the way that they did before. And that's so hard. Often I talk to so many people who are going through that transition and really feeling lost and stuck. So now, you know, you're not, you're not in my eyes, like close to that retirement phase, but it's, it's just, it's shifting what that's going to look like for you. Because again, your body's saying, no, I can't keep up with what we've been doing this whole time. You know what, Jason, I mean, over the past year, I would say, um, I really, really struggled with this because I was super attached to the work that I did. And I never really identified, although I am a mother and I am a wife, those were not my primary sources of identification. And I was very proud of that because, you know, you don't want to project onto your kids. You don't want to make your life all about your spouse, but mine was all about my career and what I could accomplish. And I felt very comfortable from a young age knowing and having confidence and trust in myself Mm -hmm. that if I said I wanted to get here, I would get there because Mm -hmm. I did it over and over and over again and reaffirmed that sometimes I was just going after awards or goals because I could Mm -hmm. not because I really wanted to. I was just like, "Eh, might as well try that. And I'd get it. And then it reinforced this sort of pattern that if I say I want something, I'm going to go do it mm-hmm. and I'm going to get it. But I had no idea how to actually have satisfaction in the things that I had accomplished. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge piece when we don't allow ourselves the opportunity to find the joy in some of the mundane tasks, but also find the joy in the goals that we've accomplished before running on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. That is such a huge piece. And I mean, I think I was Gloria Steinem who said that you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. And that quote, obviously I heard that after, you know, everything happened. And I was like, yes, that is exactly it because I kind of started drawing up these things I call my pie. Mm -hmm. And I did a pie for myself. It's just a circle, like a pie chart. And I was like, okay, I got to clear out eight hours of this 24 hour cycle for sleeping. And, you know, once I clear out another seven hours for work and two hours for commuting, and then another hour to commute here and another hour, I had no time for Mm -hmm. myself at Mm -hmm. all in my pie. To be fair, most days I didn't have time for all the things I needed to get done in the pie, Mm -hmm. but it was just ridiculous when I started doing this as a journaling exercise, because I wanted to look at what was I so attached to in my life before versus now. Mm -hmm. And this identity with me being in work and being able to protect myself and being able to protect my family through working 
and feeling a sense of pride. All of these things were rooted in my upbringing and Mm -hmm. all of these things were rooted in my 10 year old understanding of self. So when I got injured and this is where I'm at now, when I have nothing but time on my hands and I start looking back, I'm like, this looks awful lot like fear. This looks like scarcity thinking. I'm trying to do every damn thing. I'm saying yes to everything because I'm afraid that if I don't say yes, this entire my pie is going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. And so now that everything has fallen apart, I'm there looking at the pieces. I'm like, actually, it has been horrible, but I'm also so thankful for the opportunity that I've had to look at these pieces that I was ignoring before, Mm -hmm. right? And as much as we're laughing about a half-life or quarter, three-quarter life crisis, yes, I'm being forced to do this now, but it's almost like I needed to pivot because other people have this happen and then have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Right. Other people have this happen and end up with a huge mental health crisis. Right. So I can't say that I'm lucky because obviously physiologically I'm going through a lot, but I am in a weird way thankful for the opportunity to look at myself finally. Mm-hmm. And I was never, the opportunity was always there, Jason, but I was never going to give it to myself. Mm-hmm. I was never going to allow myself the time to really self-reflect and ask myself, what does Amanda want as opposed to what has society told Amanda she has to do? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it's powerful. I, I've often talked about like goal setting from a mindful place and it almost feels like uh, a little bit contradictory this idea of goal setting from a mindful place and i've used the analogy many times of playing a board game and the difference between like saying yes i'm going to win settlers of Catan, i got to get my 10 victory points and once i do you know hurrah i'm the winner and there's those individuals that if they don't like they're going to be out for blood first of all playing the game they're going to be trying to get largest army and blocking you and putting that I'm totally geeking out here but uh, (laughs) there's that whole method of playing the game and that's the type of person that'll flip the board game if they end up not winning at the end of it and then there's those beautiful moments where you recognize midway through that you look around and you say I'm surrounded by amazing people who have come together today to play this board game with me and although the goal that idea of winning the game is the beautiful thing that created this possibility. It's mm-hmm. not really what this is all about. This is about us coming together as friends. It's about us learning about ourselves and so on and so forth. But we're again, conditioned to be so end goal oriented that we don't stop to actually look at the real lessons that are taught about community, about relating, about what true joy feels like, about what can mm-hmm. live in this moment, the slightest little smile on somebody's face when they you know, get all of those resource cards that they're looking for or whatever. And it's really hard to shift that mindset. If again, either from a young age, our parents have instilled it in us because it's been instilled in them and so on and so forth, or constant, constant social media and advertisement, like advertisement, the the industry of marketing Mm -hmm. and advertisement is to, is to convince you that you don't have everything you need. 
hundred percent. You're less than. Yeah. You're less than. Other than otherwise, why would you buy this new product? Why would you, you know, take this training? Why would you do all this kind of stuff? A hundred percent. And I don't, I'm not mad about um, anything I did. Mm -hmm. I'm not mad about it. I understand why I was doing that. And it was coming from a, a good place. It wasn't coming from a place of, oh, I want to be top dog. That mm-hmm. wasn't where it was coming from. My desire to work the way I do is completely rooted in security. So for me, I was providing, I was doing the best that I possibly could to provide the most amount of security I could for myself and for my family. Mm-hmm. I am a risk averse person. Mm-hmm. was before I'm a little bit more risky now, but I was very risk averse. And so it was just about creating security. And there was parts of it that, you know, from the outside looking in, my students would look at me and say, yes, she's successful. She has all the things here. And I did, that was the checklist. I had the checklist. I had the, my pie, but no one told me that that pie was not sustainable. Mm-hmm right? It, I didn't know. And it, because there's this myth, this hustle culture that makes you feel like unless you're grinding and complaining, then you're not really truthfully working hard enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to squash that. Absolutely not. If you are grinding and complaining, you are wasting your life. Your life is precious. You only have so much time. You cannot spend your time on on the grind and then the next time just spend your time complaining about the time. That's Mm -hmm. really what I found. I should have added an extra slice in my pie for complaining because I spent another, you know, three hours a night recounting every single bad thing that happened to me from my commute till I got on the doorstep to my poor husband. And it was just like reliving the situation again because Mm -hmm. I was so attached to the negativity. I thought this means I'm successful. This is what happens when you're successful. You grind like this is how it is. Like this is the life. And I'm like, actually, no, that's not life. That's not living. And yoga is one of those things that I've practiced since I was younger, but actually taking my yoga teacher training and learning the principles, as well as taking that mindfulness stress-based reduction course. But you kind of introduced that to us in our yoga teacher training. And it really started to crack open Mm. because it hit me up with my academic part when we're talking about Mm self-assessment. Yoga is all about self-assessment. How does your body feel in this pose at this time? How can we find the ease? This isn't supposed to be a struggle using eyeballs to help you get into this pose. You need to find the ease and reminding myself of that over and over again. And it has taken me a really long time because I was super attached. When we went to that, uh, we went to that retreat in September and I came there with the intention because even though I'm looking at this stuff heavily and journaling and doing all these things, it, it is so deep, Jason. It's so ingrained in who we are mm-hmm. that I felt like giving up on that, that, redemption that I wanted was going to crack me open. And it did. Mm. I came there with the intention to let that go. And I did let that go. And it broke me just like that Cohen that you had talked about. Mm. And 
I was like, wow, I had never thought of myself. So I'll just, for people to know, when you were telling the story about, maybe you can tell it better about the Cohen, because I'm going to butcher it. So you do it. That's the, yeah. Okay, great. Um, So anyone who knows me knows that I love metaphors. I love the Zen stories, the Cohen's and all this kind of stuff. And in the retreat uh, that Amanda's talking about, I mentioned a a Cohen, a Zen story of um, a master of a monastery and he was looking for a new successor to take over that monastery while he went about his travels and, and possibly opening up other schools. So we'd gathered a bunch of the students into one room and there was a vase in the middle of the room. And the story goes that he asked the students to fully describe this vase, to describe this vase in its fullness so that we can really understand the essence of it. And everyone was trying and struggling with it. And then along came in one of the monks from the kitchen there to serve tea and accidentally bumped the vase and the vase smashed on the ground, broke into a million pieces. And then that monk ended up taking over the monastery. And, you know, the interesting thing about Cohen's is it's open for all kinds of different interpretations, depending on your walk of life. And the thing that I find really powerful is the conversation you and I had about this afterwards. I had never thought of it from the perspective of the vase before I came at it from the perspective of trying to describe something. We go into our head, we get into words and we try to, you know, just what do we see on the surface? where I looked at it from the breaking talks about its fragility. It talks about, you know, the sound that it made when it broke and that's the best way to describe it. But maybe you can speak a little bit to how your interpretation was uh, totally different in a lot of ways from that. (laughs) It was different, you know, and I think because I had come into it with the intention of figuring this out, Mm -hmm. when you told the story, it dawned on me that I was that vase, that my monk, was the universe or this illness or whatever that came and knocked me over, but I needed to be knocked over. I'm in that millions of pieces. And that doesn't mean that I'm a broken person. It just means that I get a chance to look at all of these million little pieces and I get a chance to decide what I'm going to be next. Mm. And maybe I decide to recreate myself back into that vase with the gold cracks and the gold foil. I can't remember the name Mm -hmm. of that where they Mm -hmm. talk about the beauty is in the cracks, but maybe I decide, no, I want to be recreated into a bowl. I want to be recreated into some fancy, you know, sundial that somebody puts on their porch. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to be, but I love the fact that the beauty doesn't, isn't gone just because the vase is gone, mm-hmm. that the beauty comes out when the vase is gone. The mm-hmm. possibility comes out when the vase is gone. When the world stops telling you to be A and you get a chance to decide, what am I? If I'm not A, am I B, C, D, E, F? Like, what am I? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that essential question that you know, it does take a long time to get to a place where you start asking yourself, who am I and what is my purpose? Mm-hmm. But I needed that monk to come knock me over because I need to answer those questions now as I start to look towards the future, right? And I'm happy. I feel like for me every single day and why people see the joy on my face is because I'm finally listening to myself. I didn't feel good today. My joints were really sore. Everything I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, I got on my mat 
I did the work that I know I needed to do. I honored that feeling in my body. I took a bath. I'm here talking to a good friend. All of these things are actions that I took that are in alignment with honoring how my body is feeling. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I wake up in the morning and I ask myself, girl, how are you feeling today? What type of love do you need today? What is it that you want? Sometimes it's something simple. Sometimes I want some coffee and some laughs and jokes. Sometimes I just need to chill. But the truth is we don't ask ourselves that question because society has already told us we wake up in the morning, we roll over, we grab our phone and start scrolling through Instagram. Mm -hmm. Or we start answering emails. We don't even talk to ourselves before we start making actions out in the world. And if I could say anything to anybody if you are struggling, and if, even if you're not struggling, but you're just on that journey of discovery, stop, look inside and ask yourself, how do you really want to feel? Mm -hmm. How are you currently feeling? And how do you want to feel? If I currently feel crappy, but I want to feel a little bit better, I now need to take some actions to honor the original feeling of crappy, mm -hmm. right? Don't get up and start working and make a batch of pancakes for your kids and start running. No, today might be just the day where you honor your feelings. I feel crappy. These are the things I'm going to do to make myself feel better. It seems like such the, the tiniest steps. But when we start doing that, that kind of creates this opportunity and it opens the door. I always say like, you know, that is the doorway. Self-acceptance is the doorway and self-reflection is sort of this doorway to self-awareness mm -hmm. where you can start to chew on the bigger questions of who am I and why am I here? What is my purpose? But you, before you start to get to those questions, you need to just be able to look inside yourself and ask yourself, how are you feeling? What are you feeling today? Yeah. And it's, it's an ongoing journey. Like I know for myself, I had to really remind myself to check the ego as I started going down the road of being more of a, a resource for people to vent their stresses and like to be from a position of talking about this stuff, teaching this stuff to the point where I wasn't being truthful with myself on those same questions. It's like, oh, well, no, I can't be experiencing jealousy because I'm the guy that teaches, you know, about this kind of, I can't be experiencing stress. And it wasn't until I was able to get to that point of really check my own shit check my own mm -hmm. ego and be like, mm, yeah, you check are it. totally still a student in all of this stuff check and that it. I was able to, again, okay, this is actually how I'm feeling. Yeah. What, and like you said, what do I need? How do I move forward? And what can I learn from it? A hundred percent coming up. What can I learn from this? What can I learn from it? And the truth is when we go back to, you know, my pathology with work and one of the reasons I was so attached with getting back to work, regardless of how I my personally felt in my body was simply because I wanted that Beyonce moment, that lemonade walk in there redemption. And I remember you and I were having this conversation and you said, well, what happens after that moment? Mm. How long does that moment last? Five minutes, two hours a day? What happens after that? And when I started to look and say, wow, what happens after that is I get worse and more sick because I'm not able to do that. Like I'm not able to do that. I need to let go of wanting 
redemption because my ego was attached to the redemption. And you know what? I'm good friends with my ego. I know why she's there. She's super protective. Mm -hmm. She's there to be like, girl, you know, you want to go in there and kick some ass. You know, you want this, you know, and I love that part of myself because it Mm -hmm. is what makes me driven and all of these things. But you have to understand what your ego wants is not necessarily what your soul needs. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to talk to those two versions of yourself and see, is, is this the ego that's speaking to me or is it my soul that's speaking to me? And yeah. sometimes doing it like a pie or even just writing down like these things, getting to the root of why you have a certain attachment to something is really great. Just expose it. Don't make it a bad thing. Like people mm-hmm. always talk about, oh, my shadow self. Oh, I'm in my dealing with my shadow self. I'm like, shadows aren't bad. Didn't you watch Peter Pan? Everybody <laughs> knows. <laughs> you know what I mean? Shadows are not bad. They're just a different thing. You have to go and make friends with your ego so that when she is speaking to you, you can tell the difference between the voice of your ego and the voice of your soul. Mm-hmm. But you can only tell the difference if you get to know, and it's in the listening of those two parts of yourself, that duality, mm-hmm. that you start to decide, okay, I may, I'm going to make moves from this point, but, or I'm going to make moves from this point. I'm, I'm thinking of a, a lecture that I went to listen to from Sadhguru. And I'm pretty sure I, I've brought this one up before, but there were all these, these women in the front row. There was about 3,000 people in the room, but there are all these women in the front row and they're all in their yoga active wear and they're wearing the lycra tight, stretchy pants and all this kind of stuff. And he, he turned to them and he said, okay, for instance, those pants are so tight on your legs. Do you know where the pants end and where the skin begins? And they're looking at him like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and mm-hmm. he point that, and then he pointed to his clothes and he's wearing these flowing robes and a big baggy scarf. And he said, for me, I have space between these layers that I'm wearing. And the space allows me to recognize that I am not these clothes. I can feel the difference of where the gaps are. But just like these yoga pants where we don't know where the pants end and where the skin begins, we do the same thing with these things like our ego, with our body, with all these other different attachments. We hold them so close to ourselves that we Mm -hmm. can't recognize that these aren't, as you said, our soul or our true self, that they're so close that instead of recognizing them as amazing tools, I I look at my ego as a tool Yeah, and just like a powerful skill saw, it can really help you build a house. It can really help you get things done. But if you haven't had the opportunity to maybe read the manual or to get to know it in a, a bit more of a gentle fashion and you just jump in with it, you can chop your hand off. You 100%. Can, you could do a lot of damage with a skill saw if you're not aware of its capabilities. 100%. And so recognizing who's behind those tools is, yes. is so powerful. It's so powerful. And so, you know, I kind of every morning go through this little four-step check-in mm-hmm. where I say, ask, listen, choose, then act. Mm -hmm. So I ask myself how I'm feeling. I listen for the response. I choose what type of actions I'm going to take because that's power. That's Mm -hmm. your choice is a power. And then I act. A lot of people 
ignore the choice. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that society has told them that the choice isn't there. AKA me, I didn't take sick days even though I was sick. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling so sick today. And I'd drag myself into work and I'd be like, don't come in my office, I'm so sick. And everyone would be like, go home. I'm like, I can't possibly. It's your ego. Mm-hmm. I had a choice, I was pretending I didn't, right? So asking, listening, choosing and understanding that whatever you cannot complain about it. If you get out of that bed and go to work, when your body is telling you that you're sick, you are actively making a choice to do that. Mm-hmm. You have to take ownership over that. I have to take ownership over what happened to me and realize I made choices that put me into this position and put me at risk. So now I'm like, ask, listen, make choices in alignment with what my body has told me and then act, Mm -hmm. right? It's not enough to say, oh, I really want to take a bath, get upstairs and take a bath, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that those four points, you know, that asking, that listening, that powerful choice, and then those direct actions really have made a huge difference for me. And I, it has helped me to understand and make friends with my ego self. Mm-hmm. I love the version of myself before this all happened. I loved her. She was a, a go-getter. She really did say she walked the walk and she talked the talk. She really did. I'm really happy about that version of myself that I created, but I created a version of myself that was not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the whole Toyota Ferrari thing. <laughs> right. I made a very great, reliable car, but I drove it too fast. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and you didn't now take time to get I, the oil changed either. Um, no time <laughs> for oil change. What you talking about? Toyota's supposed to be responsible. They have a hundred thousand kilometer warranty. Right? <laughs> you know, like that was my philosophy. And now I recognize that my Toyota is um, a reliable car and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to drive it too fast. I'm not going to do too crazy, but there's lots of comfy room for a lot of people. If mm-hmm. I take care of it, my Toyota is not going to break down. A Toyota can last you like 300,000 kilometers. So that's the new version of Amanda, the vase that's getting put back together that I'm going to respect how I'm feeling each day mm-hmm. and ask for help when I need it. I think it's important to also put out there that we are not accepting sponsorship from Toyota at this time, but if they would like to um, support us in any way, uh, it's welcome. <laughs> no, it is a really little... good car. <laughs> I is. drive we, a Mazda. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I love what you're saying. So much of it is around the attachment to the narrative that we created. Like you said, the story isn't written. This is a choose your own adventure. It and is. we have to recognize not only the stories that we create about ourselves, but I remember when, when you and I ended up going for uh, a tea after I hadn't seen you for a while and even seeing you, like I had a, a bit of an image in my mind, a bit of a narrative in my mind too of Amanda and, and who she was. And it took a little second for it to kind of get rewritten until I saw you underneath it again. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was yeah. like, okay, Amanda always walked into a room and she was like dancing into a room, singing her way into a room and and that was that. And then I, I remember I went to go pick you up and it was the first time I'd seen you with your walking sticks. And again, you having to, or ask, not having to, but asking me if I could carry your purse. 
And then at the time too, your, your speech was a little impeded mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And then it was, it wasn't the speech. It wasn't the, the walking. It wasn't any of that kind of stuff. It was once we got into conversation and I was able to identify the same, like glisten in your eye when you got passionate about something, whether your words were coming out as smoothly as, as they were before or not. It's like, yeah, Amanda is still Amanda. Amanda is still mm -hmm. there. And that's, the, I think, the part that we, we get all caught up in. It's like, well, no, who am I? They're not even going to recognize me anymore. I'm not dancing my way into the room. I'm not doing this. But what you're bringing there energetically and from that spirit place was still just as powerful, if not more so than before. Because it's like all this other stuff that I may have been hiding behind, it's kind of fallen away a little bit. Now you're getting true unfiltered Amanda right here, right now. And that was a yeah. really powerful moment for me to, to share with you. And it's amazing to see you now able to do these yoga poses again. And mm -hmm. the, the rehabilitation that you put yourself through to get to that point is extremely impressive. Thank you. I think you're just such a wonderful person. <laughs> and I just want to recognize our, our timing here, but for anyone yeah. that is maybe going through something like what you are going through or, you know, even that idea of like, I don't know who I am. I feel stuck in life. I don't know what to do with these new challenges that I'm facing. Like, what would you say for people in, in that position? I think the most important thing, Jason, is to not lead with your business card. You're not this. I'm right. holding up a business card. You're mm. not the letters behind your name. You're not that. You know, that is not who you are. And you need to sit with the feeling of stuck. And this is one of the lovely things. And I think with COVID, having so many people have a similar experience to what I was going through because of COVID, but mm -hmm. I did it a year prior, allowed me to have a little bit of a perspective. You need to sit with the feelings of uncomfortableness. Don't bake 700 sourdough loaves, unless you're a baker and you're supplying some company or doing it for the poor, but like just sit with that uncomfortable feeling for a minute. And ask yourself, why is this uncomfortable for me? Mm -hmm. Why do I feel so uncomfortable not doing? Mm -hmm. Why can't I just be? We don't look at little babies when they first come out and say, oh, look at Tommy. He's going to make a great lawyer. Now he's valuable. The baby is valuable just because the baby was born. It's a miracle. You are still a baby, Jason. To me, you are still as important as that little baby version of yourself. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. As much as you have created other tools, those tools are lovely. And what you do for people is amazing and fantastic. And I love you for that. But your value is just because you are. Mm -hmm. it, that's it. And once you can start to actually recognize that, you find joy in your heart. When people ask me, oh, you're so happy and you're smart. Yes, I have bad times, but truthfully, I feel joyous in my heart because I've recognized that I have value minus what's on my card. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. And mm -hmm. really to me, now it doesn't anymore. Beautiful. It doesn't matter that I'm the parent of children and it doesn't matter that I'm a wife to somebody. It doesn't matter. I'm valuable just because I'm Amanda. Mm -hmm. And Amanda has a chance, every single choice that she makes, every second of every day to ask, listen, make a choice and then act. Every single second of every day, I have that choice. As long as I'm breathing, I have that choice. So if you're going through 
a hard time right now and you're feeling stuck and you know, COVID's throwing you for a loop or maybe you're sick yourself, sit back, honor the way that your body's feeling and ask yourself those questions. Why am I so uncomfortable with just being? Mm -hmm. And that's your first step to that self-exploration. Mm-hmm. Really, you're going to you're going to dig some stuff up. You know, this is October. This is the time to ask these big questions and have the universe support you with these maybe big, heavy answers. But don't be afraid of them. They're so helpful for you to look at this stuff and to uncover it. And the way in which you move forward needs to be from a place of wholeness where you understand that you are valuable just because you are. Mm hmm. And one of the big things that people always ask is, okay, if I'm not all of this stuff, then what am I? And like, if we could really answer that question, then we would all be enlightened and and we'd be communicating with our minds or something like that. Um, (laughs) But it's so much easier to just start to identify what am I not? And like you said, like, I'm not those letters on my business card. I'm not the job title. I'm not even my body. If I lose my arm, if my arm gets Mm -hmm. cut off or something, that doesn't make me less of a person. If I'm not able to walk again, that doesn't make me less of a person. And so often, like you say, like in the breaking of that boss, so often when we get broken down a little bit like that in our lives, that's when we really start to be able to look at the different components and say, wow, this is what I'm made of. These are all the different things that are within me and you get to know yourself a lot better and and we can get really down on those moments or we can possibly see them as gifts and new insights as to, you know, what we look like and and abilities to build ourselves back as a bowl or however you want to be. (laughs) Yeah. Success in life is knowing yourself. Mm. Success in life is not things, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not yoga pants. It's not beads. It's not rocks or crystals. Knowing yourself truthfully is the the biggest success in life. And I think taking that time every day, look at your pie. And if there isn't a hefty portion of pie just for you to self-reflect or do whatever, you need to reorganize your pie. You need that time to ask yourself those questions. You need the peace to ask yourself those questions and to make good choices, you know? So sit down, make a pie chart of your own time. Look at it daily. It's a little circle on a piece of paper, you know? Carve out that time and see where you have windows of opportunity, where you can create space for you to just be so that the universe can help you to come up with some of those answers. Mm -hmm. It comes in the clarity, it comes in the pause. And I'm in the pause right now, right? So that's why I'm happy. I'm happy because I'm in that pause. I'm getting these messages. I'm feeling it. I don't know where I'm going. I know where I've been, but I'm happy to be here. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Amanda. Um, Always a pleasure. Hopefully we can catch up again soon. And, And I think there's a lot of insight here that uh, can be dissected over a few <laughs> listenings for, for people. We jumped into a lot of stuff, but thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining Good. me today. No problem. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed that, Jason. Me too. Have a great day. You too. Bye, honey. Bye-bye.